Today we're going to be talking about eight-year-old Relisha Rudd, who was last seen in 2014. She would be about 17 years old now. Um, but before we begin, I just wanted to throw a quick little disclaimer out there that the last couple of missing persons episodes that I have released, I turned the advertisements off and I believe that I um, made a comment stating, you know, it just kind of gave me the ick and so I had them off because they are active, open, ongoing, unsolved missing persons cases. But as I was researching this, I thought, um, you know, I donated a portion of profits that I received from any prior episodes, episodes, excuse me, to Project Cold Case. So why can't we take some funds from anything that we get off of missing persons cases and donate those to some sort of actionable organization. Later on in the episode, I will mention um, an organization ran by a man named Henderson Long. It's called DC's Missing Voice um, to reach out and see if they can accept any type of monetary support to keep their mission and purpose going or if they have suggestions of other organizations that might be able to benefit from monetary support because there are plenty um, of organizations to go around, uh, unfortunately, in this arena. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, one certain type of discussion on this podcast is deserving of profit or anything like that. You know, this is all, no matter what the circumstances, missing persons, murdered persons, um, what have you, this, these are all tragedies. Um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that out here and let you know before I got started in case someone said, Hey, you said in the last episode that you weren't doing advertisements, but that is why you will be hearing them. On March 19th, 2014, eight-year-old Relisha Rudd had not been seen for 18 days. A missing persons report signed by the D.C. Child and Family Services Agency was filed, and an Amber Alert was issued, but only for the D.C. area. Relisha had been living in the D.C. General Family Shelter, which she referred to as the Trap House. It was located across from a methadone clinic and a morgue at the time. It's set in the 1900 block of Massachusetts Avenue, and she lived there with her mother, Shamika Young, as well as her three siblings. She attended Payne Elementary School, but leading up to her disappearance, Relisha had missed a cumulative 30 days. The shelter, um, for lack of a better term, was deplorable. It was the largest shelter in the D.C. area. It housed up to 260 families per night at its peak, so that's roughly about a 1,000 people. And it was, um, in its former days, the D.C. General Hospital. So it was just really kind of um, bleak and bare and, you know, at its essence, basic shelter. The rooms were old hospital rooms. You could still see equipment like sticking out from the walls. It was infested with rodents and insects, bed bugs, lice, you name it. There were many days that Relisha arrived to school just very dirty, unkempt, but her teachers would keep clothes on hand for her. They would help her clean up and they would give her some breakfast, make sure that she ate. You know, her teachers um, really adored her and they tried to make her as safe and happy as they could while she was there. In fact, Relisha would often ask if she could help the teachers with anything so she could stay late. She tried to participate in as many after-school extracurriculars that she could. Um, she was involved in a children's um, 
like playtime group after school, just anything that she could to stay out of the shelter. Um, and I believe that I read in one source, like school staff, custodians, people who were there later after school had, um, you know, been dismissed for the day, they would see Relisha just on the grounds or inside the school walking around because she absolutely hated being at that shelter. So when school officials started contacting the family and asking them questions concerning Relisha's excessive absences, they were met with explanations from a Dr. Tatum. He was treating Relisha for a neurological disorder. School officials naturally request a documentation and arrange to pick up this documentation relating to Relisha's treatment. But the day that they had arranged, um, there was no documentation. There was no Dr. Tatum. There was no Relisha to be found at the shelter. And staff said, yeah, we don't know any doctor by that name. Um, but ironically, there is someone here who is a 51-year-old custodian named Khalil Tatum. Relisha and other children in the shelter referred to Tatum as God Daddy. He would give them money, buy them gifts, and Relisha specifically, he showered with attention. He would buy her clothes, take her to the movies. At one point, she was allowed to start being taken for sleepovers. Relisha's family say that she spent time with Tatum's nine-year-old granddaughter, but relationships between staff and residents were strictly prohibited per the shelter policy. Um, so it's interesting that Tatum was so involved with Shamika and her children and, you know, specifically Relisha, um, because he would like frequently be seen escorting Relisha to the cafeteria or to other common areas in the shelter that children were required to have a parent. Um, so in the shelter, residents were not allowed to like mingle in each other's rooms. They had common areas set up like lounge rooms. Um, I, I think there was like a little playroom for the kids. Um, I know that there was a playground outside, you know, but it wasn't like a really safe space and kids were always supposed to be, um, with their kid, with their, excuse me, with their parents at all times. Parents were to be attending their kids, but Tatum would always be seen with just Relisha by himself. So it's like, other staff <laughs> knew this, um, what happened there. So it's interesting. On February 26, 2014, a few minutes before 7.30 p.m., Relisha is seen again with Tatum, this time on CCTV footage from a Holiday Inn Express in the 1900 block of Bladensburg Road Northeast. They walk down a hallway and then back up again, and it looks almost like they get off an elevator or something, and he can't find the room. You know, when you go into a hotel and you go left, but really you should have went right. It was that sort of thing. But the video is edited. Um, I don't think that the public has ever seen the full video. So there's like little splices um, put together. And they get to the room. Tatum pulls out what appears to be a key card. He opens the door. He steps inside. And then Relisha follows. When investigators are asked if Relisha has ever exited that room, they say due to this being an active investigation, they cannot release details about the footage that is available to them. So that is a little haunting. Um, and, you know, this has been since 2014. To my knowledge, there is no updated footage that has ever been released or discussed 
Um, so the last reported sightings of Relisha are on March 1st at the Gateway Days Inn on New York Avenue with Tatum, who checked into room 245 for two nights. Melissa Young, who is Relisha's grandmother and Shamika Young's mother, told HLN during an April 2nd, 2014 phone interview that Tatum's granddaughter was supposed to be having a pool party at this motel, and that's why Relisha was with him there. A witness reported seeing Relisha on the 1st or 2nd of March at Virginia Williams Family Resource Center that was located on Rhode Island Avenue. Authorities say that a day after checking into the Days Inn, Tatum is seen on CCTV footage again. This time, he's at Home Depot, and he's purchasing contractor-sized trash bags. Not completely abnormal to me and my brain, because he's a custodian. I mean, he could be there purchasing these bags to take back to the shelter. Um, they could have given him an expense card, you know? It, it doesn't seem too crazy that a janitor is buying big trash bags. But authorities then say he also purchased lime and a shovel. So when you put those together, it doesn't look good. Um, and if you're not familiar with lime, it is a substance that is commonly used to uh, like help in aiding the masking of decomposition. So, you know, it's um, a lot of sorry to be crude, a lot of dead bodies, um, people will just sprinkle lime all over them because it helps absorb and mask the odor. Um, so when you put those together, like I said, not good. It's not looking good. Now the Home Depot that he was seen at is located across the street from the Family Resource Center that witnesses reported seeing Relisha at, or one witness reported, excuse me, seeing Relisha. So when did Shamika last see her daughter is the question. Um, it gets a little convoluted. She kind of hops back and forth. She mostly maintains that it was February 26th. Sometimes it's March 1st. However, a video of Relisha timestamped March 1st was posted on Shamika's Instagram account. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't been able to be really clear on if the video itself had some sort of timestamp proving or proven that it was... Um, I am having a really hard time proving that it was taken on March 1st or if the video was just uploaded on March 1st. Um, I know personally, like when I've uploaded things to my social media videos, I've taken the videos, you know, weeks, months before. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the video was taken on March 1st, but law enforcement has said it was time stamped. Again, we're not clear on that. And the video is kind of small and a little bit grainy. So if you watch it, it seems that it's been kind of cropped. And um, I don't know if there is actually something on the video because I know that some filters will have, you know, it looks like the old school kind of like camcorder. It gives you the date and the time and all of that. So um, anyway, just wanted to tell you that I don't know exactly when the video was taken, but it was posted on March 1st. Shamika refused to file a missing persons report. So um, most of us would think that's weird. The report was only filed when a school social worker, um, who was also the school's homeless liaison. So this person was tasked with making sure that the school meets unhoused kids needs. He keeps an eye on their attendance. So naturally this was the person who went to the shelter to get the paperwork that Tatum said he would leave there concerning religious treatment. He contacted authorities. He filed the missing persons report. And like I said, in the beginning, it was signed by 
DC Family Services, not Shamika. When asked why by an NBC4 Washington news anchor, like, why didn't you take action? Your daughter has been missing for three weeks. Shamika explained that she was under the impression Relisha was at her aunt's house, who would be Ashley Young, um, excuse me, um, Shamika's sister. And Shamika thought that Relisha was under the care of her grandmother, Melissa Young. But both Ashley and Melissa said, this is not true. In 2019, Shamika told Crime Watch Daily that her mother wrote notes to the school stating that Relisha was under a doctor's care. Now, Crime Watch Daily was not able to obtain a comment from Melissa concerning the claim, but there's a lot of back and forth, she said, she said, she said in this family as to who was supposed to be caring for Relisha, who was supposed to be held accountable for her. You know, um, it was just kind of up in the air. It seems like nobody really owns it and takes accountability and said, yes, she was to be with me. It's always back and forth. Um, several sources though, cite that Shamika herself took a note to the school, which provided Dr. Tatum's contact information. Shamika explains that she did not file a missing persons report or contact authorities because she didn't want to lose her other three children. Um, as a mother, it's, I'm trying to see both sides. It is hard. Anybody who has a child in their life um, that they care about, it might seem just nonsensical to us not to contact authorities immediately. But something that you need to know about Shamika's past um, is that this is, she's repeating history. Um, and I can understand to an extent why she would want to protect her children from her past, but they're already halfway there by living in the shelter. So Shamika and um, Antonio Wheeler, who is the father of two of Shamika's sons and acted as stepfather to Relisha, they both grew up in the foster care system. Shamika herself was in the system from, I believe it was age six, all the way up until she was 18. According to the Washington Post, Shamika was diagnosed with a mild learning disability and suffered from anxiety and depression. She allegedly heard voices telling herself, telling her, excuse me, to kill herself and her foster family. She was bounced around, um, transferred from foster homes to group homes to mental health facilities throughout her entire childhood. At 18 years old, she aged out of the system, and by that time, she had four children. Uh, she had been investigated by social services, though, three times on neglect and abuse. No charges were ever filed in any case, and ending up in the homeless shelter with her children was, like I said, sadly for Shamika, just history repeating itself because Shamika's mother had done the same before her. Antonio, um, he also spent his childhood in the system. In a WAMU 88.5 segment, he describes how his two-year-old sister was murdered by his mother's boyfriend when he was only 12 years old. As a result, he spent the remainder of his childhood in and out of foster homes. It was just, it's not a, it's not a good childhood. You know, these kids that are in these situations, for the majority, um, just generally, statistically speaking, they're not having a good time. In fact, Antonio said that once he vividly remembers a staff member burning him on the shoulder with a cigarette. So he explains, when I was a kid, I was quiet. 
I held a lot of stuff in, and that's another reason why I'm always angry, which is a little bit of a red flag statement um, when you have a child who is missing. There's other witnesses that report um, his behavior towards Jamaica, toward the children in the shelter, but these are really just kind of like unsubstantiated internet comment witnesses. Um, so I can't put a lot of stock into that. You know, I haven't been able to find anything in print and a legitimate source about his um, role in any type of connection with religious disappearance. But he says right there in black and white, like he he's always angry. Um, and again, this was years ago. So people change, things change. But at the time, that is his explanation. Um, in 1992, 23-year-old Irving Rudd was sentenced to 15 years for involuntary manslaughter of his 17-month-old daughter, Tarika LaPortia Rudd. I believe that her name is pronounced Tarika. It could be Tarika. Um, I, I can't find anything that has audio of her name, so if I am mispronouncing it, I'm so sorry because we want to make sure that it's right for her memory. Um, but I, I'm not sure. So she arrived at a children's hospital and, um, this is a little bit rough, just kind of giving you like a little heads up. Um, it's definitely abuse that I'm going to be describing here for a couple of moments. She had a split lip, a fractured skull and bruises all over her body. Two witnesses reported seeing Rudd grab her by her neck throw her into an end table before pounding on her chest. Again, she is 17 months old. One of the witnesses said that Tarika went unconscious after Rudd threw her onto a couch on which she hit her head on the wood part. So I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen like those old couches that have like the wooden back or the wooden sides on the armrest. Um, they were thick and they were solid. And if she hit her head on that, I can, 17 months old. Court records reflected that Rudd confessed, stating, quote, although I've killed her, it's not intentional, and I realize that I have done something wrong. He went on to explain that Tarika started whining, so he grabbed her by the neck and dropped her when she didn't stop crying because he was abusing and hurting and terrifying her. Uh, he took her into a bathroom and, quote, put her under the faucet and her mouth was open from the whining and the water just went in. Authorities asked Rudd if he had assaulted Tarika previously, to which he answered, quote, not that one. We both was involved with spanking the other twin too hard and broke her leg. That's right. There were two girls. Official goes to the home, officials go, excuse me, to the home, uh, which was located in the 400 block of Florida Avenue Northwest, where Tarika lived and found evidence of similar injuries on her twin sister. The toddler only weighed 10 pounds, 17 months old, 10 pounds. In addition to the twins, their three siblings, ages six months, three and five, lived with their mother, Tawana Williams, Rudd, and um, an aunt as well. The siblings were, you guessed it, placed into the custody of the city. What does this have to do with Relisha, you might ask? Irving Rudd is Relisha's father. And before she went missing, Rudd filed for sole custody of her and her brother, his son that he shared with Shamika, two times because Shamika was investigated for the abuse and the neglect. 
Tarika's surviving, excuse me, surviving sister answered a call from a Washington Post journalist and explained how hard Relisha's disappearance had been on the family before a man identifying himself as Rudd got on the phone and said her family does not wish to speak to the media. Bernard Rudd does not believe that his cousin killed his daughter and instead his confession may have been a false one as he did not understand his rights. Rudd's attorney filed a motion to exclude his confession in the trial stating, quote, the defendant asserts that he is in some way mentally deficient and unable to intelligently waive his rights. Records reflect that Rudd told a social worker he suffered from schizophrenia and wasn't medicated regularly. When asked again why she trusted Tatum with Relisha's care, Shamika answered that he didn't look like that type of person. He seemed like a good person in the way that he played with everyone's kids and did his job. She then referenced the way that he buffed the floors. Um, what the fuck? I am trying really hard because I, as I say in almost every episode, we cannot judge how someone reacts publicly to this sort of trauma. You know, until we're in this situation, who knows how we would behave. But I have no clue um, how that relates to the safety of a child. I know a lot of people who are damn good at manual labor and there's no chance I'm letting them near my children, especially unsupervised. It's just, it was the weirdest. It struck me as so odd. And I had to tell you guys, but again, just because you're weird doesn't mean that you're guilty of anything. Now in the search for Relisha, unfortunately, authorities did find 51 year old Andrea Denise Kelly. Um, I'm not sure if it's Andrea or Andrea. I apologize again, if I'm mispronouncing a name. So, uh, she was often called Anne. I'm just going to call her Anne from here on out. Um, Anne was Tatum's wife of nearly 24 years. Now, on February 7th, 2014, Tatum did file for mutual and voluntary legal separation from Anne. Um, but they were together at an Oxen Hill Red Roof Inn in Maryland on March 20th. Anne's body was found in room 132. According to the Washington Post, the barrel of a gun had been placed behind her left ear and a bullet tore through her skull into her brain and out a quarter inch hole in front of her right ear. Since July of 1990, Andrea Kelly and Carl Tatum, because Khalil was actually Tatum's name after he went to prison, uh, but they had been married since 1990. From 1993 to 2003, Tatum was in prison before returning in 2004 through two, 2011, excuse me, for larceny, um, breaking, entering, burglary. I can never say that. Burglary. That's embarrassing. And many people think that Relisha bears a striking resemblance to Tatum, and perhaps he was her biological father, uh, which they link to his inappropriate behavior with her. But Relisha was born on October 29th, 2006. So according to Tatum's prison record, um, it wouldn't have been possible. During his long prison stints, Gerard Wills had a relationship with Anne and lived with her. 
He says that he never saw the Tatums with Relisha, but he does say that Anne mentioned having a little girl at her house. He goes on to say, quote, I think she found out something. That's why he did it. He thought she was going to tell. He then also says that um, Tatum could not have loved Anne because look what he did to her. And, you know, he's just distraught. He referred to Anne as the love of his life. Another, um, a neighbor at the time, another witness, um, Casey Jones, told the Washington Post in 2014 that the couple had hopes of retiring in about 10 years and opening a space to help families in need. Tatum mentored young men in the area and often wore suits or a vest just to show young black males that they could look nice. Casey said that he felt very strongly about kids, um, you know, according to him. So Tatum is telling people, like, I feel really strongly about these kids. Um, and they were just both really active um, in the community or about the community, um, both Anne and Tatum. You know, they were really, they just cared about their community. Now, Casey claims to have seen Relisha playing in the snow the previous winter with another girl, and she just assumed that this was Tatum's granddaughter. Anne's daughter described her mother and stepfather as a woman who wrote get well cards for her neighbors when they were sick and a man who gave his wife a kiss every time upon greeting her. Shortly after the discovery of Anne, a white 1976 GMC believed to be the vehicle Tatum and Relisha were traveling in was found abandoned in the 1600 block of Eastern Avenue in Chapel Oaks. There was no sign of Relisha inside. On March 31st, investigators were searching Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens for signs of Relisha as they determined that Tatum had spent a significant amount of time there following his supplies purchase. So the shovel, the lime, the contractor-sized trash bags. It was then in a storage shed on the grounds, Tatum's body was discovered with a gunshot wound to the head. It was ruled a suicide. Despite searching the park in the gardens and the Anacostia River and underground tunnels near the shelter, which were used by staff when the building was an operating hospital, Relisha has never been located. Now, here's the most wild thing of all that I read while I was researching. Um, Antonio, which, remember, is Shamika's, um, I believe that they were engaged at one point. He acted as Relisha's stepfather. He told police who were at the shelter conducting questioning that he saw Tatum outside. So the police are in there. They're not letting anybody out of their sight. They're asking questions after Relisha has been reported missing. And Antonio's like, I want to go outside and smoke a cigarette. So he asks them to come outside and they get outside. And Antonio says like, I just see Tatum pushing his little janitor's cart. And he's like, Hey, um, where's my kid? And Tatum says, oh no, no, she's not missing. She's at my house with my wife and I'm going to go get her because I'm not trying to keep her from you. Okay. My very first question is where were the police? Um, if they were not letting you out of their sight and they all went with you or a one officer, two officers, I'm not sure. Um, what? That's the most intelligent thing that I can say to that is, uh, what? Why would they not go apprehend him or at least question him? Maybe give him a little shout. Hey, hey buddy, give him a little two finger wave. Have you seen this child that we are currently conducting questioning for? 
and you are the prime suspect. So it's not to say that Antonio is making this up. Um, it's not to say it didn't happen. I don't know. Nobody was there. Only he knows. But it's really strange. Like that blew my mind because I'm like, shouldn't this be um, heavily focused on? And it's just, it's rarely mentioned. Um, I, in fact, I read that in a transcript of a podcast, which I can't remember the name of right now. I apologize, but I will put it in the um, description of the show so that you can go and listen and read. Um, and I believe that the host or one of the hosts also was kind of like, mm, this, this seems nonsense <laughs> because why would the police not do anything? But according to Antonio, um, he was scolded by the police for asking Tatum about his child. Um, he went back in and he was like, hey, um, guess who I just saw outside pushing his cart around? And the police were like, why did you alarm him? Why did you, we had it covered. Why did you do anything? So that whole thing is um, crazy to me. And then it's just like nothing else really, not, not much else about it. In 2017, Shamika, Antonio, and Melissa all appeared on the Steve Wilco show. Should you feel so inclined, you can watch this on YouTube. A lot of people focus on the fact that Melissa and Antonio took lie detector tests. Shamika declined. Uh, she declined in 2017 and then again in 2021 when her and Antonio went back onto the show as like a follow-up. Now something important to note here is that tests are not conducted by actual investigators. These tests are given by the Steve Wilkos crew. I don't know what the official term would be but probably a producer. Like these are not law enforcement officers or um, anybody trained to administer a polygraph test. So I personally, I don't think that's so weird. Um, but a lot of people are like guilty, guilty, guilty. She knows exactly what happened. She had something to do with it. Uh, basically upon the fact that she did decline. A couple of things that stood out to me though while I was watching that I felt worth mentioning. Um, Shamika makes this comment about Tatum being shot in the head twice and how it couldn't have been a suicide. So she is insinuating that Anne and Tatum may have been victims of another perpetrator. And a lot of the interviews like on the phone with HLN um, in the early days of the investigation, Melissa will say things like that. Um, the family hints to other people being involved, but then they get kind of cryptic about it. So that's just something that you would have to go listen to, look up, um, you know, you can find it on YouTube just like anybody else and listen to and form your own opinions. Um, but it is kind of worth mentioning that they say this and then it's interesting, at the Red Roof Inn where Anne was discovered, there is CCTV footage that shows the Tatums entering that room, 132, with four unidentified people. Under an hour later, three people are seen exiting. I believe out of that group, only one person was identified, um, but I can't find any expansion on this. So maybe there's something to it. Um, I never was able to get any official report from Tatum as to how many wounds were suffered. It just is very vague about gunshot wound. It doesn't say wounds. It does say wound, but it doesn't say a single gunshot wound. Um, you know, so it does leave 
some some questions to that and if she is on to something or if Melissa is on to something. Um, on the show, Shamika is asked by Wilkos if she had a relationship with Tatum. She says that she did not, but a family member of hers did. And then it's just like, it's not addressed. Wilkos moves on. There's no record of this in any articles or interviews given by Shamika or her family or anything that I can locate. Um, it's just like, yeah, yeah, we knew him before because somebody in my family had a relationship with him. That just goes unaddressed. I don't know. I felt like it could really, um, it could use a little digging and maybe investigators did, you know, um, obviously there's lots of information not available to the public, but those were two things that I was like, huh, hmm, strange. Um, like I said, in 2021, May of 2021, Shamika and Antonio, excuse me, returned to the Wilco show virtually. There really isn't any progress made in this follow-up. Um, in fact, the pair just kind of continue to argue on and off. Like Shamika is just telling him like, I hate you so much. Um, you know, insults are being thrown back and forth. And then eventually Shamika disconnects from the call. Again, I'm trying to remain objective. Um, but let me tell you this. If I had any airtime at all to discuss my missing child, no matter how long she had been missing, we're going to be talking about my missing daughter, like what people can do to help, any fucking detail possible during the limited amount of time that is offered to me. Because it goes without saying, this is a marginalized group. Um, girls like Relisha do not get the media attention that girls like um, anybody else that you could possibly name who is white or comes from a wealthy family or um, is the polar opposite of a poor girl from a black community. Like those are just the facts. So is the Wilco show the ideal outlet? No. Um, it's, it's a joke, you know? Um, like we all know it's kind of a runoff from Jerry Springer and I grew up in the Jerry Springer era. So like I understand the editing and the ratings and people want to see the ugly and the bad, but whatever time I'm given, no matter what show it's on, we're going to be talking about Relisha. So it's just strange to me. Um, that's kind of a theme with Shamika is when she's given these opportunities, um, the focus is really not on what it should be. Um, not every single time, but you'll just have to go and, you know, watch interviews from the early investigation with news anchors and then watch, you know, episodes like this. Um, I know that she's given a few interviews to podcasts that I have not listened to. So to be fair, um, we don't know what those contain. You might know what those contain. You might've heard them. Um, but it's, it's just weird to me. Like, why would you go on this show and bicker and fight with your ex? It has nothing to do with Relisha. Something else that just kind of made my ears perk up a little bit is she only refers to Shamika like as my, or I'm sorry, Shamika only refers to Relisha as my daughter. Like Shamika is never saying Relisha this, Relisha that. Um, Antonio calls her Relisha like several times throughout um, 
specifically the 2021 episode of Wilco's, like he's saying like, I'm still looking for Relisha. I won't give up on Relisha. Like he is using her name, but Shamika never does that. And it's not a huge thing. Um, to be quite honest, when my children were little, I think I called my oldest child baby for like a year. Like the baby, get the baby, the baby's this, the baby that. Hi, baby. You know, like I didn't say her name. If I was talking to my family, I wasn't like saying her name a lot. I would say the baby. So, um, I'm just reading into something that doesn't need to be read into, but I, it just struck me as like, why don't you ever say her name? It's just the, she just has this strange kind of mannerism. Um, and like in one of the news anchors interviews, um, you can find these on YouTube. Like if you just search Relisha Rudd missing, you're going to come up with tons of them. Um, she ends these interviews almost like with a defensive tone or attitude like her facial expressions her mannerisms they are a little off-putting they are a little strange so I could just be um <laughs> kind of riding that wave when I'm watching these other things like this is strange but I just wanted to mention it um no implication just the way that she talks about this child is is if she does know something more than what she's letting on Either way, I'm going to end that by saying like, you know, I harp all the time about expectations as a grieving parent and how we can't judge. Um, so I'm just letting you know both sides. By May of 2018, officials had stopped placing families at the D.C. General Shelter. Residents were provided assistance via rental vouchers um, to relocate to other shelters, private apartments, or even hotel rooms that were leased by the district as overflow space. Um, there were, I think, nine families kicked out um, during the transition period between July and October for just like breaking the rules of the program. But 160 or 170 so on families were transferred. In November 2018, the shelter was officially closed by Mayor Muriel Bowser. Um, there is this really weird little video on Twitter that you can watch and everyone's like standing around cheesing while they're putting padlocks on the main entrance doors. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I see the pros of closing that shelter. I, there's a lot of cons. Um, so it just, it was weird. I was like, why are you guys celebrating this? Um, this was like displacement of hundreds of families, but Okay. Basically, every system and every person put in place to protect Relisha failed, and they did it miserably. One of the saddest aspects is that all of these children ended up in the same pattern and cycle as their parents before them and their parents before them. Like, Shamika and Antonio did attend parenting courses, they submitted weekly drug tests, they completed required therapy sessions, and an attempt to retain custody of Relisha's brothers. Um, they got an apartment, they decorated a room for the boys, you know, the good of this is that they seemingly were trying to kind of turn things around and not have their family broken up because these poor kids had gone through so much trauma just in the fact that their sister disappeared alone. But then being removed from their family and, you know, placed into the system and tossed around, like, that is so much for a child. I mean, these were little children to have to go through. By 2020, though, Shamika's oldest son had been adopted. 
Her middle child was having difficulty being placed into a home locally, and her youngest child was moved to an entirely different state with a foster family. So here's to hoping, like genuinely in the bottom of my heart, that these kids will somehow be able to break their generational cycles. I mean, it's just that stands out to me that it's so awful that Shamika was like, I'm not going to report this because I don't want this to happen to my other kids. And it doesn't matter because it was, it happened anyway. It's just depressing. Um, but, um, on, I don't want to say a brighter note, but there is a little bit of, um, hope with this. There is a Relisha Rudd Remembrance Day each year. It's held on July 11th. And I mentioned earlier Henderson Long of DC's Missing Voice. He, um, works with detectives to locate missing and vulnerable people in the DC area. He has remained one of the biggest participants of Relisha's case since she disappeared. Mr. Long, whose aunt was missing for 20 years before her body was identified, um, he had his own daughter the same age as Relisha when she went missing. He has distributed tens of thousands of flyers with Relisha's picture, and he is the organizer of Relisha Rudd Remembrance Day, um, and he just maintains that we are going to find Relisha one way or another. The other part of this tragedy that has um, brought about a little bit of good is the Relisha Rudd Law. DC Councilmember LaRuby May introduced the bill to Council of District of Columbia in 2016, and it requires parents to report a child 12 years or younger missing within 24 hours. If the child is 13 to 18 years old, they must be reported missing within 48 hours. The law would also make it a misdemeanor for parents to provide false information to law enforcement with the intent to mislead the investigation. So, you know, a lot of times it's it's after the fact. It's after these horrible things happen that we get these laws and we get these bills and we get things put into place for action. But it shouldn't take these things. Um, and it just, I don't know if that's ever going to change. Um but, you know, if you start looking into this case, you kind of have to wade through the um, dramatics um, from the family. Like, there's a lot of back and forth about, like, Antonio had some Facebook posts with pictures of cash and shoes bought for Relisha's brothers. Um, now, there is, according to Melissa and Shamika, a legitimate explanation for that, like, tax returns. Um, they say that Antonio had cashed some social security checks and that's why he had these pictures of wads of cash in his mouth, but it's the timing. This was like just days before Relisha was reported missing. So she would have already been missing for a long time by this point, but Antonio maintains that he didn't know. Um, Shamika maintains that she didn't know. And when you think like, how do you not know? She says that she didn't have a phone. So she was just under the impression that she had her daughter taken care of by Melissa or Tatum or this person or that person. So, um, you know, you have to kind of read through a lot of those types of um, articles and information before you can really kind of get down to the timeline. Um, there's been restraining orders filed from Melissa against Shamika and vice versa. You know, the family, it just, it seems like 
there was probably a lot of tension beforehand and it was just ripped apart. Um, you know, whenever the, um, restraining order was granted by the judge against Jamaica, she was like, cool, sounds good. I like it this way. You know, she doesn't, didn't want anything to do with her mother. So I'm not sure if they have reconciled or what the status is. Um, it's not super relevant, but I would hope that this family who has suffered just insurmountable loss is able to band together and, um, I don't support each other. Um, so if for some reason you have any piece of information, nothing is too small. I will put the contact information in the show description along with those articles and the podcasts that I mentioned. Um, there is a reward. It's, I believe that it's 50,000 total, but 25 is coming from the FBI. And then another 25 is coming from city officials. I would have to look into that again. Um, I know that there was some push to get the mayor to approve a $75,000 reward because, you know, in this community, there's a lot of distrust of law enforcement. So people aren't wanting to come forward um, and they need a bigger incentive. And I just, that it's just the case. Um, so I don't think that that has been increased yet. I think that the max is 50,000, but I will double check that information and put it in the show description. So I hope that you go there and take a look and, um, you know, just do what you can to support your family. I mean, this is just a really sad, sad story of, um, a, a broken family. 